Father. God, we come to you and um, God, we believe that you're worthy of praise. And that that last song that was calling out for all creatures to praise you. The moon, the sun, the stars, everything created should be praising you because you're worthy, God. So God, I pray for us right now that you would allow our hearts to freely worship you. God, I'm praying that we would see your value and your worth and that we would see you as strong and big and majestic. God, I pray we see you as holy, gracious, merciful and kind and patient. God, I pray that our eyes would be turned to you and that we'd be overwhelmed with how wonderful and amazing you are. So God, I pray we would continue to worship. God, I pray as we continue to worship by looking at your word. God, would, would you help all of us to listen? I pray you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your spirit would say to us through your word today. God, every single one of us, wherever we're at, I pray we would see you and hear you clearly. God, I'm also praying for me. God, would you help me to teach? God, I'm praying that I would teach accurately and clearly by the power of your spirit, that, that you would help me to, to push your agenda and your word and nothing else. God, we want you to be glorified. So I pray we would worship you as we hear the word. And I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. Um, I'm excited to jump into Titus this morning, but before I do that, let me tell you a couple things that are going on. First of all, uh, if you didn't get one of these, we're actually passing out bulletins now. Is anyone else pumped about that or is that just me? Okay, both of us, we're excited. I'm pumped about it. The rest of you, you know what? I hope you didn't get a bulletin. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just playing with you. We, we've been trying to work on communication. So if you didn't get that as you came in, that's going to tell you things that are going on. But one of the things that just happened, uh, um, I guess it happened a couple weeks ago. I want to let you know, we've had uh, several people that have joined our church in the last several weeks. I want to make sure I get to celebrate that with you. Here's some of their names. They should, their pictures should be popping up on the screen. Um, if not, yep, we're good to go. So Andy and Tabitha Ellis and their awesome kids. This family's joining us. Um, we're pretty pumped to have Andy and Tabitha here. Yep. So welcome to the family. I know you're around here somewhere. Um, Mark DeMaio. Um, it's like Cinco de Mayo, not de Mayo. Right, Mark? Um, Paul Holzberger. We're pumped to have Paul here. Listen, um, church, we're get, listen, you clap for all of them. When you see these people, I want you to go welcome them as part of our church. And here's what we want. We'll make it easy for people to connect. These are now part of our church family. And um, we, we just want you to know that one of the ways that you can join the church is we have a discovery class. Uh, the next one is Sunday, February 21st. So it'll be at 6.30 p.m. It's going to be through Zoom. You can sign up on our church website if you're curious about that. Um, we'd love for those of you who are still checking us out. I think that's the next step for you. Check out that church website. And I'm excited about the number of people who have been engaging our church, even in the middle of coronavirus. Um, I'm excited about that. So we, we want to see more and more people connect to a good church family and connect to Jesus. And that's one of the ways that we do this. Uh, okay, that's enough of a... Uh, I guess that's my announcement time, but I want to transition. I don't know how to transition. I don't know if you've noticed that. I, I, I say these things, I'm like, well, how do I jump into my sermon? And every time it's always awkward. So I'm going to make it more awkward by pointing it out. So let me just jump right into it. Uh, here's the point. We're, we're in Titus chapter one. And here's what I want us all to hear. That the church is the bride of Jesus Christ. We, not, not the building, not the corporation, not the meeting time, the people, you and me, together, we are the bride of Jesus Christ. Here's what that means. 
That means he loves us. That he cares for us. He wants us. He, he's made plans uh, for our care and our, our growth. Like he, he wants us. He, he doesn't regret making us his bride. That this was his plan and he's really happy with his plan. Now, now listen, I, I believe that he knew all of our brokenness and all of our dysfunction and all our rebellion and stubbornness. And he knew all that before he made the plan for the church. Does that put anyone else at ease here? Because here's what that tells me. I don't surprise him with my stupidity. I might surprise you. I don't surprise him. I, I don't. He's not shocked like, man, how? I mean, I've seen dumb, but I've never seen that dumb. That's not what he's saying up there. He's in heaven saying, I know. I know you're weak. I know you're frail. I know you get it wrong. I knew it when I decided I wanted to buy you for my own. I knew it when I died on the cross for you. I didn't die on the cross because I looked ahead and said, man, Fias, that dude's going to kill it. He didn't look at me and say, that right there, that guy has it all together. You know what? It's worth dying on the cross because Fias is that amazing. Listen, he looked at me and said, that dude... Man, rebellious, stubborn, sinful, deeply broken, misses it all the time. And still, listen, and still, he said, but I love him. I want him. I'm going to go get him and clean him. And I can turn him into an unbelievable demonstration of my grace and power. And that's not just Fayez. That's every single person sitting in this room who's in a relationship with Jesus. And he put us together to make his bride the church. I believe that is supposed to be a beautiful, powerful, shocking example to everyone around us. And it's also shocking how easily we can get off of track with that. And here's why I'm excited about the book of Titus. Because I think God has a, plot, a plan for his bride that is good and thoughtful and exactly what we need. And somehow at times it's really easy for us to just get a little smidge off or maybe a whole lot of smidge off depending on how we're doing at the time. I know a lot of smidge doesn't make sense. Okay, so don't send me an email about a lot of smidge is the opposite. I know that a whole lot of stuff. off. We can get way off. And I believe that when we look at the book of Titus, we get this awesome glimpse of Paul writing to a young pastor who's setting up elders in these churches. And he's saying, listen, man, here's what here's how you set up the church so that she looks like the bride of Jesus. I think that's awesome. So, so that's what's going on. Paul has left Titus in the luxury island of Crete. Like it's an, an island in the Mediterranean. Again, you can Google that on your phone if it's too cold in Tallahassee, Florida right now for you. Look at pictures of Crete because it's amazing. And he left Titus there and he said, Titus, we started these churches and all these villages you need to go town to town and set up elders, set up the church, get all organized. And the very first thing that he told Titus to do was to set up the leadership. That's what we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks. And last week we looked at the character of a leader, at least the first part of it. We looked at their family and their marriage. Are they a good husband? Are they a good father? That's the question. The character is first demonstrated in those places. Godly character fleshes out most clearly at the home. Um, you can put on a good show on a Sunday morning. You can get dressed up. You can put on the facade, but where it matters most, where it's clearest seen, where it's real, is at home. 
That's why he tells them to look there, which is, can be stressful because kids act the way they do and we're all sinful, broken people. Marriage can be hard and beautiful. Parenting can be hard and beautiful, right? Y'all, would y'all agree with that? Okay, if marriage isn't hard, we need to meet after church. I need some tips, okay? I need some tips because marriage is hard. And if it's not good, we need to meet after church because I got some tips, okay? Like we need to, we need to chit chat. It can be both. All right, so that's, that's where we're at. Let me pick up in Titus chapter one and we're gonna be in verse seven. I'm gonna read both verses here and then we're gonna talk about it. It's verse seven and eight. He says this, for an overseer, this is an elder, a pastor, an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He, he goes through this list of qualifications. And the first place I want us to stop in this is that very first phrase in verse seven, where he says, for an overseer, as God's steward. That word steward is an interesting word. He's saying, listen, an overseer is God's steward. We don't normally talk about pastors as stewards. We say pastor. Some churches might say elder. No one says overseer that I know of. They might say bishop instead. But, but he says a pastor uh, as God's steward. I look at that word steward and I, I start to ask, well, what does that mean? Here's what it means in Bible times. A steward was one of the servants who would run the entire household. So if there's a rich man that had a huge household with lots of land and property, he had lots of servants and employees and businesses, he would pick one of those people to be over all his other fellow servants and he would manage all the details of the house for, for that man. That this would be the person that would handle all the pay. He would handle buying property, selling property, planting the fields, making sure there were enough workers to plant the fields and, and harvest the fields. He would even handle what the master was eating every day sometimes. Sometimes that word steward would talk about when a king would be over a city, he would set a steward over the city, a, a city manager who would manage the city. He would, he would do things uh, around the city and take off that administrative burden from his master. That, that's what a steward was. And so when I see that, Paul is saying that this person, these people who are to be, become elders and pastors, their role is that of a steward. Here's why that matters to me. Um, that means that the steward is not the master. He, he's not the master. There is a master. It isn't the steward. Right? Do, do y'all see that? Like, that's important. It's important that, there, that this person has the character, that he understands his role. His role is that he is a steward. He answers to the master. This, this can be a, a pretty strong, this can be a pretty strong role. Let me tell you another place where Paul refers to himself as a steward. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I know we're going we're gonna to flip a little bit today. Uh, if you flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, this is the other place that you find that word steward when it comes to, to leadership in the church. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. They're fighting about, listen, I love Paul and I love Apollos and I love Peter. Then you got the spiritual people saying, well, I love Jesus. And then they're all fighting about who their favorite pastor is. Um, that'd be like, well, I don't want to get into that, but let me just jump into it. Look at how he, he's answering this question about Paul and Apollos, this, these favorites that they're playing with. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 
Paul says this, this is how one should regard us. Listen, this is, how do you regard the apostles? Like, how should you view Paul? Like, awesome Paul, how do you view that dude? How, do you, how are you supposed to view the leadership of the church? And I'm not saying this is, I'm not saying I'm an apostle. I'm saying, how should you view leaders? He says this, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That, that word servants is not the normal word that we see servants. It's not doulos, that means slaves. It's the word that means assistant. He's saying, you should view the leadership of the church as the assistant, assistant to the master, to King Jesus. Uh, the joke I have here, I don't know, anybody here watch The Office? Okay, for the, yes, listen, I'm proud of those of you who watch The Office. If you don't like The Office, I get it, but it's hilarious. There's this ongoing joke that happens on The Office between Michael Scott and Dwight Schrute. Right? It's going on over and over and over again. Dwight wants power. He wants authority. He wants to be able to fire people. And he's constantly trying to get in good with Michael so he can get the title assistant regional manager. Over and over and over again, he goes, assistant regional manager. And Michael Scott does not want this guy to have too much authority. So he always reminds Dwight, assistant to the regional manager, like over and over and over again, assistant regional manager. No, you're assistant to the regional manager. Like this is the idea that I think Paul is saying here. You need to view me as Jesus's personal assistant. That, that's what I am. I'm his assistant. I'm not his boss. I'm not his equal. I'm his assistant. And then he also says this. He says, not just as servants of, of Christ, but stewards, that's that, that same word again that we saw in Titus, of the mysteries of God. That he said, listen, I, I've been given the gospel and the word that God has laid out. And my job, is I'm supposed to manage that according to the way that he wants it. That's why Paul says this in verse two. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. Why would he say faithful? Because here's the point. The steward doesn't set the agenda. The, the steward doesn't say how things are supposed to be done. The master sets the agenda. The steward executes the master's agenda. That's a big deal. Like that's a, that's, a, that's a really big deal. Here's what that means. That means that the job of the steward is to go to the master and say, what do you want? I'll do that. How do you want it done? I'll do that. Listen, he even makes this statement in verse three and four. Now this is gonna sound a little chippy by Paul. It's gonna sound a little arrogant, but he says this, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. He said, listen, gotta be honest. It doesn't matter much to me what you think about me. It doesn't matter if you think I'm good or competent or doing a good job. Dude, does that sound a little cocky to anyone else? Okay, four of us. I, listen, it does sound cocky to me. Can you picture me standing up when you say, Pastor, I got some concerns. I'm like, I don't care what you think. You'd be like, okay, that's how we're going to roll around here. And listen, Paul said, it's a small thing to be judged by you or by any court. Then he adds this because it's kind of the double punch. Because I think some of us would love to be able to say that on a regular basis. I don't care what you think. You aren't judge of me. Right? Look at verse four. Uh, or the, yeah, verse three. Sorry. In fact, I, don't, I do not even judge myself. 
for I'm not aware of anything against myself. In other words, I, I'm not even really doing this for myself because I don't know that I've done anything wrong, but he says this, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It doesn't matter if I judge myself faithful. The point isn't that you think I'm faithful. The point isn't even that I think I'm faithful. What does he say there? He says this, it is the Lord who judges me. Listen, I'm a steward. I'm an assistant. And the person who decides if I'm faithful is not me and it's not you, it's him. Man, that's, that's powerful. <laughs> I got, I got it. There's a really powerful thing when you realize that Jesus is your master. Jesus is your judge. He's the one that decides if you're doing it right. He's the one that decides. It's not you. Right? Like it. I don't think any of us would say, I'm doing an awful job and I don't care. Right? Unless you're just a complete psycho. I don't even know. Maybe you've met those human beings. But most of us, if we don't think we're doing a good job, what do we do? We change. We do what we think is best and right. Because we judge it right. When we look at ourselves, you're not a good judge of yourself. You're not the end-all, be-all judge of yourself. Jesus is the judge of yourself. And that means he has authority to tell us if it's right or wrong. Listen, when I look at this, here's what it tells me about not just us answering to Jesus, but my role and the role of pastors and elders. Here's the point that is really important for us to know. This means that a steward's job is to make the master happy, not their fellow servants. The steward's job is to make the master happy not their fellow servants. And that means a pastor's job is not to take the temperature of the people and do that. That's not the pastor's job. The pastor's job is not to find out what makes you happy and comfortable and you set the agenda and I just get that done. That's not my job. My job is to go to the master, to King Jesus and say, what do you want? And my job is to do that. That doesn't mean I get to run roughshod over you, but we need to hear that, that that's, that's a very authoritative position. Like there's authority in that. It also means that I'm supposed to run, the steward is supposed to run it exactly the way that the master says it's supposed to be run. It doesn't matter what the church next door is doing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the methods that other churches use that make it grow. What matters is what does Jesus tell us to be about? So we go to him and we seek him and we spend time in the word and prayer. And when he speaks clearly, which he is able to do in his word, we do that. that it, it's that simple. He may not have laid out all the details, but he's laid out enough for us to know what to do, right? Like he didn't say, hey, here's like four things to do and figure the rest out. Like he wrote a lot of instructions for the church. And for some reason that doesn't seem to be enough for, for pastors and for churches. It's not enough to care about the poor. Yeah, 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 we can do that. We can give money to a ministry. It's not enough to care about the oppressed. Yeah, yeah, we can feel bad about that. But, but what about like this? It, it's not enough for us. We need showy and flashy and big. And Jesus said, I've given you a job. I'm the king. Do this and do it this way. Do it lovingly and gracious and patient. Do it in deep relationship and deep worship of me. 
He's been clear. The question is, have, have we been good stewards? Maybe the question is, have I been a good steward? Have churches longed to have pastors who are literally consider themselves stewards of God, that he sets the agenda, not me? Have we had that kind of heart? I, I don't know. Every church is different. Some churches run after the greatest and latest and newest and fanciest. Some run after tradition. Keep it the same. Don't mess with it. We love it. And I got to be honest, both of those are way easier. You, you realize that, right? It is way easier to show up at a church that loves tradition and say, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to change a single thing. We're just going to make the things that we do feel better. Man, we'll feel great. No one will be upset. It'll be happy. It'll be consistent. It'll be steady. That feels easy. It's, it's also way easier to come and say, listen, this is going to be flashy and showy and like it's going to have pizzazz. Or, would we say pizzazz? I shouldn't say pizzazz, especially with that hand movement. I shouldn't, shouldn't do that. It's going to, listen, it's going to be fantastic and amazing and awesome. And we keep throwing out all these new flashy things and I've got to keep you like motivated with the latest and greatest. I become a salesman who's got to pump you up every week or do cartwheels to make you laugh, and, which would be hilarious if I did a cartwheel. You should know that. I might end up on the ground with an injured back and then we have invitation and it's all over. Like, listen, pastors get into these, this showmanship, this performance. The people are going to love it. And seeking the Father and saying, what do you want and doing that? Sometimes it's not enough. We should be very careful with everything that we do that what God says is not enough for us. I'm going to just boil it down. He's been clear. Let's just do what he says. I don't want to oversimplify this because parts of this feel hard. But but when I look at this role of steward, and, and listen, I... Well, the things you just heard, I had to preach to myself. Don't, don't sit here and think that I feel like I'm sticking the landing on this all the time. Like it's really easy at a church with, with of this size and the mission we have going on. It's really easy to run down a whole lot of paths of administration. Really easy. I have to preach. I had to preach to myself this week as I was looking at it and this weekend and this morning as I got up that I need to be a man that seeks the face of the Father over and over and over again, deeply in his word, deeply in prayer, and I let that be my marching orders. And I wish I could say that was easy. It's simple. It's just not easy. But when I look at it and I hear this role of steward that my job, I don't, the person that judges me is Jesus. And I go to him and then I tell, I, I bring that to everyone else and we focus on what he says to focus on and we do it the way he says to do it and we do what he says to do. When I hear that and I, and I read that, I begin to think there's authority with that role. Not authority that you give me. Not authority that I give myself or that I earn. The authority of the elder overseer pastor is a God-given authority. Listen, it's all fine and dandy that I go to God and say, hey, what are we supposed to do? And say, okay, God said this. And you're like, I don't think so. Right? Like there's authority. God gives authority with this position. Now, as I hear that, I have concerns that go off. Anyone else have concerns that go with that? 
And one of these days, y'all are going to raise your hands. I know it's a Baptist church. Like we can, do we need to have an exercise where it's just, okay, well, we're doing both hands. You're raising the roof. I'm great with that. Get it. I need, listen, y'all need to relax a little, okay? You can get the hands up. You can yell at me. You can shout. It ain't going to hurt my feelings. It'll probably make me preach louder. That's called you helping me preach the sermon. Y'all know, you know, you know you're allowed to help me preach it, right? All right, you just tell me to get after it and I'll keep going. Or you stare at me and like you're confused and I'll stare back and it'll be great. Um, that's what's going to happen. So anyways, th- there's authority. And listen, I don't want to minimize that authority. That would be a mistake. As a steward, as a pastor, as an elder, there is authority. Not de- denying that. The, the problem is when that authority has been mishandled, like when, it, when it's been oppressive, when it's been domineering, when it's been aggressive. Like, listen, there's, there's a lot of, let me show you that it says there's authority first before I go tell where we have to be careful. Let me give you a couple of verses. You can write these down in your notes section. Um, if you want to follow it later, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Listen to this phrase. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews is talking to these church people. Obey your leaders. And submit to them. Does that sound like that has authority? For they are keeping watch over your souls. Here's the part that makes me nervous. As those who will have to give an account. Listen, here's what he's saying. Listen, you need to obey your leaders. Here's why. Because one day they're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to go through the church people. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to sweat just thinking about that. Then I'm going to stand in front of him and he's going to say, all right, let's talk about how these people did. And I think it's going to be name by name. I, I don't believe it's generally that I stand before God for how I led and shepherded and cared for your soul. Now listen, don't, don't pastor take it as a beating stick. I answer for your soul. Do what I say. No, that's not. Listen, <laughs> like, that's a heavy thing, right? That's like if we're changing the color of the carpet, I'm not planning on doing that right now, but if, if, if we decide we're gonna redo the carpet and I'm saying, I answer for your soul, do the carpet that I want. Like, listen, man, you should be a little concerned about that phrase because I'm not convinced Jesus is gonna say, I can't believe you picked mauve. You should have picked blue or whatever. Like, that's, no, he's gonna say, I can't believe you talked to the people like that and handled them like that and led them like that. That you worried about the carpet, but immorality was running wild in their hearts and you didn't talk about it. Man, like, listen, he's sitting here saying, church, you need to obey your leaders and submit to them because they're going to answer to Jesus. And, And look at this last phrase. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. <laughs> so, yeah, hey, pastor, you can stand before Jesus. And hey, everyone else, can you make it a little easier on these dudes? <laughs> right? Listen, church, can I ask you to do me a favor? Can you live your life in a way that make it easier for me to stand before him? That's, that's kind of the thing. I'm not, I'm not talking about, I hope you understand what I'm talking about. I'm talking about living your life so that you love and worship and follow Jesus. Right, listen, I'm going to tell you a couple ways that make it really hard to shepherd people and to think about standing before him. It's really hard to shepherd people who are around once or twice a year. 
online people, please don't, I know it's COVID, please don't take that the wrong. I'm not talking about the people who are vulnerable. Like, I'm supposed to stand before Jesus and see you 12 times a year? And that, that doesn't sound like that makes it easy for me to stand before Jesus. It sounds like it makes it easy for you to feel better about your walk with God by showing up to church once a month. Listen, it makes it easier if you will read your Bible all the time and just do what he says. It makes it easier if you're going to love your spouse as well. Fight for holiness and purity. To lead your kids with grace and mercy makes it easier if we're going to love each other well. When there's conflict, we go and talk with the people and work it out with grace and mercy. Listen, that makes it easy. And I'm not saying you got to make it easy so I don't have to do my job. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when he says this, I think this is what he's talking about. He's talking about when the pastor gets directives from God and he comes and we need to reach these people and you whine and moan about it. That doesn't make it easy when you're wrapped up in sin and it has to be conflict. That doesn't make it easy when you're distant from God and uncaring and your heart is unmoved, but you know how to talk the language that doesn't make it easy. Listen, I keep saying make it easy. Let me say it this way. I want you to know and love and follow Jesus. That, that's what I want. I, I'm saying make it easy to help you understand it, but, but listen, that means I'm gonna have to engage you and know you and work with you and pastor you and shepherd you. It means I have to get to know you. I, I don't want you to be a face that slips in and slips out. Now, if you wanna keep pastors and elders at arm's distance and the church at arm's distance. We're going to do what we can to engage you. But at some point, I can't force you in. But if I don't make it easy for you to engage and pursue, that's on me, right? My job is to, to lead and oversee it and love and shepherd and make sure it's easy for us to connect with each other. The other thing that makes it easy is if I'm the only person in this church that's allowed to have spiritual conversations and disciple people and, and confront people when they're in sin and help teach people, we, I got a lot of work to do. That's not his plan, just for the record. His plan is I would equip many people to be doing that, that we're set up in a way that you could sit next to anyone who's been with Jesus all week long. When, when you poke them, they gush grace and mercy and gospel. Like you just bump into them and they're, they're expressing real love. I, I want you around. Like, listen, like it, that's not about one person. That's about the, the elders equipping and freeing the body to interact with one another like that. First Timothy 4, 11 and 12. It, listen to how he talks to young Timothy when he's going into a church. I want you to hear the authority of a steward. It says, command and teach these things and let no one despise you for your youth. Uh, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Like, listen, Timothy, don't, don't let them ignore you because you're 25 or 30. You live a life that's worthy of imitating and you teach the word. That's what you do. And if they're going to say, I'm not going to listen to you because you're 20, that's on them. Don't let them get away with it. Right? But you hear the authority there? That's what I'm trying to show you. Titus chapter 2, we can... Flip back here in a minute, but he says this. He says, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. 
Here's what he's saying. Listen, when you're in this role, there is authority that comes with being a steward. Man, it's hard for me to preach that and not have it sound like it's self-serving. That's not what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do is show you what the word says and let you see clearly that the word sets it up, not that the pastor is king. It sets it up that Jesus is king. The pastor is steward. That means his job is to go to the king, find out how to do it and implement it. And he's supposed to do it in the way that he wants. And that does come with God-given authority. But then I, I mentioned it already. So how does that not get out of whack? Well, listen, I think God has said everything we need to know. I want to show you one of the passages. 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. God has said how the pastor is supposed to handle this God-given authority. And this is important for us to know. I know I've been all over the place this morning, but, but look at these verses. 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. This is Peter talking to these pastors. He says, so I exhort the elders among you. He's writing to this church. You're multiple elders. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Look what he tells them to do. Number verse two says this, shepherd the flock of God. That word shepherd, pastor the flock of God. I want you to notice a few things. It doesn't say pastor your flock. Whose flock is it? God's, right? You pastor God's flock that is among you. The idea there is you're leading them where they can eat and you're taking care of them and directing them. You're leading them to follow the savior. You're protecting them from wolves. You shepherd, you keep the ones that are straying, you keep them in. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. We've talked about that word in previous. The part of the, the other name for a pastor is an overseer. That there's, there's decisions and organization and stuff like that. Look at how he says to do it. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Like you're not guilting people along. You're not saying, listen, it just hurts my feelings that you guys won't, won't do this. Like, man, it, I, I just, I feel like I'm always crying to Jesus about what bums you are. Like, I'm not trying to guilt you into doing more. I want you to do it willingly. I have to do it willingly as God would have you. Look at this. Not for shameful gain. Because you're not, you're not, you guys, you're shepherding the flock of God. You're overseeing it. You're handing them away. Not so that you get more money. Man, I feel like there's an awful lot of pastors that need to hear that. You don't do it for the paycheck. You do it eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Do you hear the way he says that the pastor's supposed to lead right there? So when you hear the authority, it's balanced with this because the king has said how the pastor is to use that authority. Not dominating, not oppressive, it's shepherding, it's exercising oversight. Like I, I think he's been clear. Right? It's not about getting a bigger paycheck. And then he does this awesome phrase here, verse four. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus. The, the main, when the main pastor shows up, when the senior pastor, King Jesus shows up, you receive the unfading crown of glory. 
Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, elders and members, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Listen up. A pastor elder is supposed to be a steward, but he's supposed to be a godly, humble steward. It it has authority, but it requires humility. It it, it has um, consequences. I, I answer, there's judgment in this, but it requires love. Church, I... I feel like God was clear. And this is what we should be longing for in leadership. This is God's plan for how he cares for his church. Quickly, let me hop back to Titus chapter one. Now I'm going to go quickly through something because he says something here in verse seven. It says, for an overseer is God's steward must be above reproach. And then he's going to go through a list of qualifications. Remember earlier you said that the pastors, they have to be above reproach. They have this, this, untarnishable character and he looked at family and home. Now he says it again. This steward, this person who God's given his bride to manage, God's given the people that he loves to manage under his authority. This steward, listen, his character matters because his job is important. He represents the king to these people. And this is what his character should look like. He's going to list uh, 11 things. I think he's got five that are negatives and six that are positives. Okay, now let me go through this list quickly. Now, now here's the deal. As we go through this list, here's what I want you to do. Okay, if you want, you can ask yourself, is Phi as that? Okay, that's not going to hurt my feelings. If you do that, it's going to make me sweat more. But listen, I got deodorant on. I'm good. All right, like it's okay if I sweat. But I also want you to ask yourself this question. Well, which of these characteristics do I personally have? Not, not Fias, but you personally. You're asking for yourself. Because here's the deal. I don't believe anything on this list says, you know what? A pastor has to be this, but everyone else doesn't. Like, so I want you to feel the challenge of this passage. And it's okay if you're saying, is our pastor that fine? Ask yourself that question. That's God's standard. I'm not going to shrink back from it. That's the deal. But it's also, I believe, his standard for all of us. So don't skip your own heart and your own life as you look at these things. Okay? Titus chapter 1. Let's go through this list. Or verse 7. He says this. So he says he must not. These are the negatives. He must not be arrogant. It's a person who's self-willed, stubborn, self-centered. They're satisfied with themselves and there's a little bit of an air of presumption to them. Uh, They... Their way is the way that matters and they will run you over to get it. Everything is about them. Quick-tempered. This is a hothead. They get upset pretty easily. This is is a person that loses no time getting angry. They get angry with people they shouldn't be angry with. They get angry about things they shouldn't be angry about. And they they get angry way more often than they ought to. This person is angry quickly and all the time about everything, right? You, you park your car wrong, they're angry. I got a, it's funny, uh, I used to be missions pastor, so I traveled overseas a decent bit, interact with a lot of missionaries. I'll never forget, uh, I got picked up from the airport by one missionary, we're driving on the road, and I'm not kidding, we must have been a minute down the road, I've got jet lag, and he's cursing at people that aren't driving. I mean, literally, he's dropping for real curse words. I, it was my first experience with a cursing missionary. There's more of them, you should know that, but, 
And I thought, man, I think I got some bad jet lag because I think he just said, no, he did it again. This is crazy. Like he was furious and he had to stop at a store on the way there. So we, we park the car and go to get in the store and we walk away and we hear a dink and looks back and someone had parked next to him. They opened their car and their car door hit his car door. And dude, like if you thought he was angry when someone cut him off in traffic, you ought to see what he did when someone, it wasn't even that, it wasn't even that nice of a car. Like it's not like the missionary driving some phenomenal vehicle. It was, it was a missionary car, right? Dude, dude dings it. And my man is turning around and he is just letting them have it. Why don't you just beat the whole thing to death? That's what he yelled at the guy. And I was like, like, I guess I hope I don't see them when we have to do whatever evangelism we're doing. Like, listen, the dude was a hothead, right? He was just quickly angered. Doesn't mean he can't be angry at all. There's plenty of things to get upset about. But like quick, explosive over things that don't matter on people who shouldn't be angry. It's all the time. I think the first two are related, but, uh, when you're arrogant, it's all about you. You're going to get angry a lot more often. The next one, the third one, not a drunkard. Now, uh, this one will require more explanation for our church. Now you get to sweat. Does that sound fair? Okay. Yes, we got an amen. I'm going to keep preaching. I like that. Listen, here's what it simply means. It means they don't drink too much. They don't get drunk. That's the plain and simple meaning. I believe that this includes getting high. I think it also refers to all substance abuse and addiction. So in, in modern terms, we say it this way. They, they can't be addicted to prescription pain meds. They're not supposed to be getting high on drugs. Or they can't be that type of person. They can't be a drunk. That's what it means. Now, listen, I'm just going to go straight here. The, the struggle in this church is going to be that we're going to see the phrase not a drunkard and we're going to change a few word letters to make it say not a drinker. This word does not mean that. I, I can't change the meaning of that word for you. That is not what the word means not a drunk. It means he doesn't drink too much wine. So... Um, this is the part of the sermon where I was going to go off on a long explanation because I know you've got lots of questions. Good news. I will do that next Sunday. Okay? So we're not going to have a 20-minute study of, of what this means. But church, here's how I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that not because I love to stir the pot. I, I want us to know what Jesus says, and we're going to do that. We're going to do it with wisdom and with love and with humility we're just going to simply go to the word and say, Jesus, what do you say? And our job is to understand what he says, rightly understand it. We don't get to twist it to mean what we want. So uh, next week, how's that for a sales pitch? Come back next week and we'll talk about alcohol in church. That's my game plan. That's really going to pack out the seats. Um, listen, here's what I don't want. Don't get angry. I don't need you freaking out and losing your mind. What does that mean? We're going to look at what the word says and simply understand it and explain it and do that. Does that sound fair? Does that sound what Jesus wants? And if I don't teach what the Bible says, that's a different conversation. But that word doesn't mean not a drinker. That word means not a drunkard. 
So we'll look at what the word says with all the warnings and things like that, okay? Remember what I said when we first started this series. We're going to go to the Bible and look at what it says, and we're going to look at what we believe and what we do. And when the two don't line up, we can either ignore it, we can edit it and change the Bible, or we can change ourselves. And the right response is that we will change ourselves and our beliefs, even if it's uncomfortable. Okay, let me keep going down this list because uh, now I'm sweating again. Okay, verse the number four was not violent. In other words, they're not a bully. They're not going to, especially physically. I, like I've heard of pastors getting in fistfights with deacons. I, I've never actually seen that before. All right, that would be way off sides. All right, but I think you can bully not just physically, but emotionally and verbally. Like that's, that's not... That's not the character of a man who's supposed to be an elder pastor. And it also says not greedy for gain. The idea here is they're, they're shamelessly greedy. And there's even a hint of dishonesty in that word in the Greek. They, they want to get money and they don't mind using questionable practices. This doesn't mean that they're not making money and they're not getting wealthy off investments and things like that. It means that they're greedy. This is the type of person who would not be afraid to do questionable practices when it came to finances. You want to make sure this is a person that won't fleece the sheep or take money out of the coffers. This is a person that, that loves people more than a paycheck. Those are the negatives. That should not be present in my life or in our lives. Can we agree with that? Like, it, like none of us should be arrogant. None of us should be quick-tempered. None of us should be drunkards. None of us should be bullies. None of us should be greedy. Shockingly low, shockingly low bar, right? Can we just be honest? Like, oh, okay. Well, I guess that's not too bad. <laughs> look, at the, look at the positive things. Hospitable. The, the main idea of this word is they're hospitable to strangers. Um, but in case you lost track, we're in verse eight. But So these are the negatives. Now we're going to the six pods. They're hospitable, especially to strangers. This doesn't mean that they're good at hosting dinner parties. Right? Like, this doesn't mean that a pastor has to be really good at charcuterie boards, which are phenomenal. Do y'all know what those are? Sorry, I don't know how fancy. Yes, awesome, my fancy pants. Way to go, people. It doesn't mean he's good at serving meat and cheese. It means that he's really good at welcoming you in. The home should be open. I'm not saying the home isn't open, but they're hospitable. They're welcoming especially to strangers. This is available to meet needs physically and emotionally. That the pastor should not be a standoffish, like, he can be an introvert, that's okay, but I'm talking about, like, there's no way you're ever gonna get access to that dude. And when you do, it's, he's gonna push you away all the time. Like, listen, it's supposed to be hospitable, welcoming, especially for strangers. Um, and this isn't, it, it's not good at cooking meals. It's, it's deeper than that. All right, so don't lower that to something like, I have to be able to cook phenomenal meals. And I think my wife cooks pretty good. I'm not gonna throw that. And I got some work to do on the grill, but the, the evaluation is not, did, did I have a perfect barbecue done when you came to the house? The, the option is, can you get to the house? Can you get access? And do you feel welcomed? Even if you've been here for five minutes. Lover of good. This is that they, I mean, it's pretty obvious. They love good things. They love what's right. And it's not just the idea of loving good things and good people. It's the idea of loving it in a way that tries to put it into practice. 
In other words, I don't just love the idea of us being a church that has deep relationships. I want to lead in a way that you actually have loving and deep relationships. I don't want to just love the idea. I love in a way that causes the practice to happen. Self-control. This word means sensible, prudent, moderate, cool-headed. Uh, it, it's the person who literally, they're not, they're not going to extremes. They got, they're just sensible and prudent. Upright. That, the word means that they're just, they're fair, they're equitable. They, they just do what's right. Holy. It's not the normal word for holy, which is normally hagias. This is a different one. It means devoted or committed to God. This is a person you're saying, listen, that, that person's, they're there. They're, they're, they're committed to God. They're, they're walking with him. They're devout. The last one is discipline. That does mean self-control. In other words, they have their emotions and impulses and desires under control. Now listen, these are the qualifications for a pastor elder. It doesn't mean perfection, but this needs to, to happen. So here's some of my questions for you. As we read through that list, did you feel convicted of anything in the list that you felt like, you know what? I'm not hospitable. I'm not a lover of good. I'm not self-controlled. I'm not upright. I'm not holy. I'm not disciplined. Did you feel that? Listen, if God convicts you of that, I, I want to do a couple of things. First, I, want, I just want to challenge you to repent and believe that Jesus cleans you for your failures in that and that he can enable you to actually be that. Listen, the reason a pastor can be all of those things is not because he made himself those things. Jesus makes people like this. Like, listen, when he died on the cross for my failures and came back to life three days later, he didn't just forgive me. He gave me a new heart and the spirit and the ability to be that. Listen, he can do that in all of us. He can make all of us these type of people. That's the power of the gospel. If he can bring a man back from the dead, then he can make us hospitable and loving and self-controlled and upright and devout. He can do that. Listen, I, I also, I'm going to guide us in a time of response, but as we shift in, I want you to think about the amount of care that God has said he wants for the church. Like, I, I want you to feel loved by this passage. I want you to feel loved that God said, listen, I want my church to be this way, and I'm going to put leaders that look this way over the church. I, I want you to feel cared for, not oppressed, not frustrated by it, but that God would think so highly of his church that he would make a plan to provide the right leaders for us. I mean, that's, that's gracious and kind and thoughtful. Listen, I, there's one verse that I read that said, listen, God's going to, I'm going to give an account. Listen, I, I want to challenge you. I, I want to make it easy to give an account for you. If you've been distant or removed or if you're wrapped up in sin, or been disengaged, don't, don't be hidden. Don't be distant, don't be removed. If you've been stubborn to the word, be submissive to the word as it's being taught. Don't be so busy that you can't engage, that you can't engage the church or obey the word. If you're so busy you can't be with the church, if you're so busy you can't read the word, you need to change your schedule. And finally, I want to share the gospel. And it's simply this. Um, Jesus really, really loves you. And if you failed at all this and stumbled at all of this, he, he has his plan. 
Some of you are hearing all this talk about the church and, and how to be a part. And here's the way that you are a part. You don't be good. You don't perform. You don't clean yourself up. You trust in Jesus dying on the cross for you and you let him bring you as part of his family. You ask him to forgive you and you trust in what he did. That is it. He didn't give you a list of 20 things. He does the list. You just repent and trust. That's all that it takes to be saved and changed and cleaned and forgiven by him. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to guide us in a little time of response. If there's anything that God convicted you of, I just want to simply say this. Ask him to forgive you and ask him to help you. Listen, for some of you, um, as you hear that, you, the list of, of the qualifications of a pastor, the authority and the stewardship. Listen, I don't want that to be a boring exercise. I, I want you to feel loved for G Jesus. I want you to feel loved by him. So would you just praise him for wanting the church to have godly, loving, caring leaders? you pray for me to be that? Listen, if you've been distant and removed or busy or stubborn, well, I don't know what God would call you. You guys have been gracious to me, but I can't see your hearts. If you've been any of those things, would you just repent of that to God? And would you engage the church well so that I can care for you well? Heavenly Father, God, you see our hearts and you see everything that's been going on. And God, I pray that we would feel loved by you. I feel like we, I pray that we feel challenged by what you've called us to be. God, I, that's what I pray for this church right now. God, would you make us a loving people? And we, would you help us to grow in that? There's lots of love here, but God, I'm asking you would grow us more and more in love with one another. God, would you make us a worshiping people? I'm, God, I believe we have hearts of worship, but I'm asking that you would grow that more and more in our hearts, that we would be madly in love with you. God, would you make us a gospel people? Would you make us a people that preach the gospel to ourselves and believe it and share it with others? God, I pray you would make us those type of people. God, I pray that we would follow you and what you've set up for the church and not our own plans. God, help us to do that. Help us to be that. We look to you as our king and our master. God, I also ask for me, would you help me to be the type of pastor you're calling for here? You see my failures? God, I believe you're stronger than that and you can make me a better pastor. So I'm asking that you would do that, God. And that you would help me to love and lead your church well. And I pray that all in Jesus' name, amen.